Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the CONCACAF Champions Cup first round second leg Liga MX review show. My name is Daniel Feuerstein, and thank you very much for listening on tonight as we talk about these matches in the second leg of the CONCACAF Champions League brand new first round, of course, finishing up the matches involving clubs from Liga MX as well as those clubs from Canada. And it's going to be a fun show tonight, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a lot of fun. But let me just say this so far. I have to say that this was probably exciting to watch. Now, obviously, domination, of course. We all know the Liga MX clubs are going to advance. And, you know, you really thought that you were going to see them all advance. And it really wasn't a true clean sweep. But let me just say this, and, and, you know, we'll have on my guests tonight from last Friday, of course. Let me just say this. At least they were competitive, with the exception of Comunicaciones. You saw Real Esteli compete. You saw Forge FC, Hamilton Forge FC, the Canadian Premier League, compete. Real Esteli was competing, and of course, Herdiano was competing against those clubs that represent Liga MX. And, you know, to be fair and, and to be honest, if not for a certain moment in the first leg for Club America when they got the away goal, on the road in second half stoppage time in Nicaragua. I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves here, that could have been done and dusted, or at least maybe sent to penalty kicks in Mexico City. So I'm very happy from what I've seen. I'm, you know, look, I'm not saying that these clubs are not competitive when they're playing in these matches, but you you know and you can tell when they're truly fighting and that they're never going to give up and they're never going to quit and even though you have to say that with forge that they were i mean basically just bad bounces going into the back of the net for those two goals against them they never looked out of place they never you know jogged they never felt, up. Oh, it's over. We're down uh, in the aggregate by a lot now. So, you know, there's no way we're going to come back into this one. But they didn't do that. And even though Comunicaciones didn't do that either, I mean, you could tell when those two goals went in in the first half. I mean, you already are just saying yourselves, okay. And they're probably saying to themselves, okay, just try and try and save yourself and not get you know, disgraced and something like that. You don't want to get blown away 7-0 or anything like that because I know, you know, those were obviously, you know, those types of matches are just absolutely uh, dreadful and, you know, it drains the life out of the opposition, whether it's the home team or the road team getting it. Still, though, it's a situation where, you just hoped and prayed something like that wouldn't happen. And it didn't. 
and it didn't. And I, I think that's a great thing to see. You know, when when CONCACAF expanded the Champions Cup and renamed it the Champions Cup, you know, for the start of this season, and of course it'll be like this forever and ever and ever now, you know, I'm very happy to see more clubs coming in, very happy to see these clubs fighting, scratching and clawing to get to that championship final. And, you know, I'm very happy with what Montagliani has done to improve the tournament and to improve this international club championship because it's just wonderful to watch. And we have to support it because this is in our region. Now, do I think it's going to be as big as the UEFA Champions League or the you know the Copa Libertadores? I mean, look, let's be honest with ourselves here. Um, I still think it needs more time to gather themselves and everything. But, you know, honestly, I think that the way everything is all set up, you know, I, mean, I mean, this is an improvement. And it needs more needs to be done a little bit here. I don't know how much more you can do it, but as of right now, I, I think they have made it significantly better. Once again, I still believe that the League's Cup has painted it a little bit. But, you know, I, I still feel if you still want to give those extra three spots to the uh you know the top three nations from the north zone of this region of course canada united states mexico uh you know i think a a copa mx champion deserves a spot uh i believe the canadian championship runner up should get the spot and i also believe that the uh the us open cup runner up should get the spot and, you know, just in case that uh, a team does qualify for the uh, Champions Cup through the League's Cup, which, once again, I hate it, but, you know, uh, you know, whatever it is. I, I, I think that's probably going off a little bit. But once again, as you all know, I, I hate League's Cup. I, I think it, it's just going away for the for the situation that we have it. Uh, it's, just, it's just a waste of time. But once again, here's the situation that everyone needs to understand. I think and, – and we'll get to this on Monday's regular show with Carter Krishnire. But, you know, U.S. Open Cup and the issue that we're having with that, with the MLS trying to get all their teams out of it still because basically it's just really a pain in the rear end to uh, – have MLS interfere with U.S. soccer's scheduling. And, of course, the winner goes to the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Now we're finding out Canadian Championship is having the same issues with the clubs in MLS that are Canadian, like Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal. And why is that? Because doesn't the Canadian Championship, or the Voyager's Cup, they call it, is also being interfered with by MLS? See, Major League Soccer has to stop interfering 
with both the Canadian Championship and the Open Cup and just let their clubs play in it and so be it. Because CONCACAF has already deemed and they've put their stamp on it that the Open Cup champion and the Canadian Championship winner must go to the CONCACAF Champions Cup. They must. It's essential. Because CONCACAF deemed it. And, you know, once again, Canada soccer and U.S. soccer must come together and put their foot down and once again inform both well, I shouldn't say both, but at least to inform MLS, their clubs must compete, whether they're from the United States or Canada, they must compete in their respective FA Cup tournaments. So, once again, MLS is interfering with the natural order of things. It is terrible. It is disgusting. And it's got to be stopped. And I really believe that both presidents of each federation should contact MLS, the First Division League, and tell them you can't do this. But for Canada, I think what they need to do is this. And I think that maybe it's time that Toronto FC, CF Montreal, and the Vancouver Whitecaps leave Major League Soccer and just join the Canadian Premier League. I think it's about time. I think it's about time they do this. And I think Canada Soccer should start making arrangements or demands to remove the three Canadian clubs from MLS and put them in the Canadian Premier League. I think it's time. Now, once again, if MLS is going to keep you know acting like this, well, both federations must put their foot down. They must. Because if this is interfering with the natural order of things, then that's what it has to be. Major League Soccer has to understand. The owners, while they can vote on whatever they want, and it's fine, they are a part of an entire federation, not just the league and that's it. And I really think they have to stop threatening to remove themselves out of the Open Cup. That's what they have to do. And they also have to say, well, you know, if if we're, you know, if we keep on doing this or, you know, there's not going to be soccer here anymore. No, soccer will still be here. It's just that if you disband, you're giving USL the opportunity that they're looking for to make championship a first division league. And they will take over all of the MLS stadiums that you will abandon. Will it come to that? I don't think so. But you know they're going to try and make threats. But once again, we cannot allow certain tournaments that are associated with earning a bid to the, to the CONCACAF Champions Cup. And that's what Major League Soccer is trying to do for both the U.S. and Canada right now. 
Right now, the dates are set. But right now, there's no draw for the Open Cup. And once again, it's very important that these things do happen to make the CONCACAF Champions Cup what it should be, and at the same time, what the Canadian Championship should be. So Major League Soccer's got to get their rear ends out of their butt, or shall I say their heads out of their rear ends, and to make sure that all this interference never, ever gets brought up again. Because it's just absolutely asinine what Major League Soccer is trying to do, not just for Canadian, uh, for MLS fans in the United States, but for the Canadian fans in MLS up in Canada, holding both federations hostages to get this done. And it has to get done. Excuse me. So all I'm saying is, Major League Soccer has to stop interfering with both FA Cup tournaments in the United States and in Canada. It's really time to get this going, and it's time to get this moving. Because those spots are important for not only Canada, but for the U.S. involving themselves in the CONCACAF Champions Cup. So it's going to be exciting and fun. As always, and that we will now talk about some of these second leg matches in the first round of the CONCACAF Champions Cup involving Liga MX and our Canadian friends. Excuse me, and right now, joining us tonight from away from the numbers over in Vancouver, British Columbia, the one and only Michael McCall was on, a traditionalist when it comes to the stoppage time clock on the MLS uh, media call on the new initiatives that they're going to involve themselves in 2024. But Michael, welcome back to the show. Um, you know, I, I thought Vancouver started off very well. I thought they were on the front foot in the entire first half, but unfortunately, this, the uh, closing 45 was just not that good. Yeah, they, they kind of just ran out of a little bit of steam, which is to be expected. They're still really in pre-season mode. This, as important as this tournament is, unfortunately the timing of it for the Whitecaps has basically meant that it's just really been two pre-season games, which is not ideal. But they, they showed so well in that first half down in Monterey and yeah, just tired legs in the end, but also kind of masters of their own downfall. They had chances. They just did not convert them. That's the problem, isn't it? The chances that were not converted. I I mean, I have to tell you, they had at least several fantastic moments in the first half where I thought they could have been up 1-0 in the match, 2-0 in the match. I mean, I thought I was going to see Brian White convert another chance. I thought I was going to see Krylach convert a chance. Um, And and the one moment where I thought they were going to have a goal, but sadly, the flag went up for offsides. Yeah, Krylach was was through. Laborda had a couple of chances as well. I mean, they could and should have been leading at the half. Unfortunately, you've got to bury those. And when you're playing a top team like Tigris, 
your chances down there are going to be limited. I, I think the White Cats probably created more chances than maybe many people expected in that first half. But as good as Brian White has been, he does need maybe 10 opportunities, it feels, sometimes to put the ball in the net once. Very true. And you know what, though? Even though they converted in the 51st minute from Luis Quinones' uh, opportunity, I mean, I still felt that the Whitecaps could have gotten something, could have really threatened them. I mean, if they would have gotten that away goal, at least you're looking at penalties if they hold off defensively. Yeah. The the tie hadn't changed that much with the first goal, just aside from, well, a goal for the Whitecaps now and they're just back on level terms. But you could tell Tigers were clearly worried by that first half performance because they came out in that second half with more intensity, more aggression, and really had the Whitecaps on, on the back foot. But they were still very much in it. Fafa Pico had a couple of good flashes when he came on. He had the, the cross, a, a cross goal that White really should have put away as well. So, I mean, they still had their opportunities, but they were starting to push. They got caught. I don't think the overall 4-1 aggregate scoreline was really reflective of how close the two teams were over the two games, but it, kinda, it is what it is at the end of it. Very true. And, you know, give the Whitecaps a lot of credit because the truth is is this. Tigers did not look themselves at all. I, I think we can both agree that they didn't look themselves at all. I, I mean, look, I understand coming up to Vancouver, you know, you're playing away. Maybe they're going to do something a little different. I, to me, I, I, it just felt like they were going to try and tiptoe through the tulips against Vancouver, and they were sadly mistaken. And even though they got their away goal by Gignac, and they got lucky that the second goal that was converted was wiped out for offside in Vancouver. I mean, the Whitecaps could have done something in, in this match, especially in that first half, and the rest of the oh, match as well. Uh, absolutely. And I, I think Tigris struggled, and their coach made mention of this in between the two games, that they struggled with how to break down Vancouver. And I think they were probably caught by surprise. And maybe they came into this match kind of thinking well they haven't played any games they're going to be in pre-season form this is going to be a not a, a stroll in the park but it's going to be fairly comfortable and we're confident what we can do at home but I would say for for three halves of that Tigers would have been very very worried yep absolutely they were I, I will say this though and not to say, I'm not saying the players were lazy or anything like that on Tigris. Uh, definitely not. But you know as well as I do, their past head coach, who won them the Champions League uh, during the COVID year in Orlando, you knew that would never have happened against Vancouver if he was still the head coach over there. You yeah. know that. Yeah. Yeah, it's... And it does kind of fall in the coach. Like If it, if it took a a half-time barracking to get Tigris coming out looking like the Tigris we know. I mean, you've got to ask questions of the players, though, as well. It's like, this is a, this is a big tournament. And th this was something that annoyed me here, that in, in some of the fan groups and discussion boards, some of the fans, especially the younger fans, were like, ah, 
who cares about this tournament? It's a stupid tournament. And I'm like, it, it is not. This is your gateway to the Club World Cup. And then folk were saying, oh, well, we're never going to win it. And it's like, well, is that the attitude to have? Well, we're not going to win this, so what's the point of playing? So, I mean, the players on Tigris' side, they know what's at the end of this as well. They should be highly motivated because they must surely want a chance to to go and play against the Manchester Cities or Real Madrid's of the world and, and showcase their talents and maybe earn a, a big move over to Europe or something. Mm, I absolutely agree. I mean, listen, you qualified for this tournament for a reason, to show that you're one of the top teams that can attempt to go far. Now, we all know the schematics, why the, it's happening in, in February and all that stuff, and you only had two preseason games, and I think that's up. And in my opinion, I'm not saying the Whitecaps should pull an Inter-Miami and go on a worldwide, you know, fan fest all over the world and stuff like that. But at least they should have a preseason, at least a couple of games under their belt in preseason, just to be prepared and be ready since they were not advancing or at least starting in the round of 16 like the Columbus crew and Inter-Miami are. Yeah, the the seeding really cost Vancouver. I mean, I I would argue, and it, like it doesn't matter whether it's Vancouver, whether it's Montreal, whether it's TFC, whether it's another Canadian Premier League team. The Canadian Championship winner should be a seeded team. It's like you've won a National Cup competition. So the Whitecaps suffered a little bit from that. They suffered as well because of the way that the draw played out. The TV companies wanted Tigris in the first round of games as the big name team for for things as well. So it's not going to get any better. I mean, the MLS season can't really realistically start any earlier than it currently is. Although... I mean, Don Garber did allude in his State of the League call that in 2026 it could start really early with a maybe a tournament or something in the likes of maybe Florida. But, I mean, the, the Whitecaps had four good pre-season games over in Spain. And they, they played European teams that were in mid-season. So they got good tests there. But you were adding players late. Brian White was away with America, so you didn't have that chemistry going. But it's the fitness levels. You've still got... There's, there's a difference between being fit and being match fit, and I think that's, that's what right. the white caps. That's absolutely correct, Michael. I've said that many, many times. You can be you can be fit, but are you match fit? And that's the big problem right there, once again, that uh, this has hampered a little bit. So after the match, uh, what did Sartini say to the media uh, when this whole thing was over? Was he upset? Was he down, or did he feel positive that, okay, you didn't get the result, but, you know, you had a positive performance here? He was fairly positive, but he did right away come out and say, we have to take our chances. We cannot create chances like that and not take them. So overall, he was positive for what this means for the season ahead, but he knows they have to work. There's two things they really have to work on, and he mentioned both precursor to this game and then in, in the post game they've got to take the chances because they are creating but they've also got to have that consistency as well and set pieces is something that they've been consistently bad at 
and they need to improve because they give goals up. They were the worst in MLS last year for giving up set-piece goals, and that's something big that they're definitely trying to work on. No, absolutely, and hopefully uh, if they do qualify again through the Canadian Championship that they will be able to uh, have a better run next year, and hopefully they will be able to do so, and that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see some of the Canadian teams, you know, do well again. Not just, you know, Toronto, but of course for Vancouver and Montreal as well, because it's got to be a little more balanced, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I I think as well, the last two years, Vancouver's just had a horrible draw. Because they've had Tigris this year, last year they ran up against LAFC in their second game in the tournament. So, I mean, they've really, really had it tough. And it would have been nice to have a, a bit of a run. The, the club really values this this competition and they want to be in it. And they want to be on the international stage and they want to try and get to the world stage. So the club do take it seriously, which is why the last two years they've gone over to Spain for their pre-season. So fingers crossed they can get into it this year. There's, there's so many mechanisms that would, would allow them in now, but they definitely want to be there and I, I want to see them there. Absolutely. Michael, just to ask you this question, uh, this popped up recently on X, uh, Twitter if we still call it that, from uh, True North Foot, Canadian uh, Twitter account uh, for, foot, for footy. Uh, apparently, uh, Canadian Soccer Association uh, clubs are yet to receive any information, no draw dates, no format, no competition dates, etc., nothing. Canada Soccer has also not been responding to clubs' emails asking for details. Is there an issue right now involving the three MLS clubs not, uh, or you know, from the league uh, interfering with the Canadian Championship, like what they're trying to do to the Open Cup here in the U.S.? From my knowledge of the situation, no. It's not the league that's been interfering the the CPL teams, and th- this is unconfirmed, but it was a, a report that was out there a few weeks ago. The Canadian Premier League clubs put forward a proposal to Canada Soccer, which would have involved the games being two-legged affairs. And basically, the three MLS teams have said, we have not got the capacity to play two-legged games because of the MLS games and the fact that the league shuts down for that month for the League's Cup. So in a way, it is MLS that's affecting it in that the league's shut down. So your, your windows for playing these games is getting less and less. But two-legged affairs in cup competitions, it's a st- stupid idea in the modern age. I mean, you, you described me as a traditionalist at, at the start. I am, but I'm a very open-minded traditionalist. And like cup football should not be played over two legs. It should be straight knockout. What I'd like to see is the lower seed hosts in every round. So if it's a a League One Tier 3 team here, which I was involved in one of those teams last year, we got to host just the way that the draw worked out. And we knocked out a Canadian Premier League team, and it was fantastic. And that's how the Cup should be. It shouldn't be two-legged games. And if that's what the CPL teams are proposing, the MLS teams are quite in the right to say no to that. But the the CSA have to be better at communicating. The problem with the CSA just now, though, is they are just in an absolute mess off the pitch. They had appointed a general secretary that then decided 
the day that she was meant to take the job that she didn't want it anymore. The one of their board members who I have a lot of time for, Dino Rossi, who's really spearheaded the, the third tier here. He resigned because he said Canada Soccer did not put soccer first anymore. And there's no head coach for the men's team. There's an interim. The other folk have resigned. It's an absolute mess. So this doesn't surprise me in the slightest. But they need to announce it soon because there's some small teams in this that have to get the preparations right. And you can't just suddenly announce, okay, in a month we're going to start the tournament. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I mean, uh, I'm glad it's not MLS interfering. Technically, they are sort of with the League's Cup situation. But once yeah. again, um, I'm, I'm, I, it's really sad to hear that because, you know, uh, out of all the good that Canada Soccer did the last several years, now it looks like, unfortunately, they're falling back to their old self again, it sounds like. Yeah, I don't know if what's what's going on there. They really... Everyone needs to sit down and grow the game the way it needs to be grown coming up to 2026. I'm involved in League One here, which I guess is the equivalent probably of USL One for Mm -hmm. for American listeners. And it's growing, and it's great, and the pathway's there, but the money is not there. And you look at the Canadian youth teams... The Canadian under-17 girls have failed to qualify for the World Cup for the first time ever. Yeah. And even at the last World Cup two years ago, they didn't even get out of the group stage. So you've got the national team players wanting paid more, but yep. Canada Soccer's like, we can't afford to do that and fund the youth programs. And the youth programs mm-hmm. are needing development, things like referee coaching development. So everyone needs to sit down here put all the differences aside and come up with a way to grow the game properly. And it's the yep. same in the U.S. Like I, I've always said the U.S. Open Cup should be cherished. It is a jewel in the crown in North American soccer. It is wildly unappreciated. And if people haven't got time for it, then those people need to not be involved in the decision-making in U.S. soccer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And well said, my friend. Michael, listen, thanks again for doing this. Uh, I know it's a little early, unfortunately, but hopefully if you uh, Vancouver qualifies again, love to have you back next year. Uh, hope to have you back on the show during the season. Have a good night and thank you again, sir. Cheers, Dan. Talk soon. Talk soon. Michael McCall from Away From The Numbers over in Vancouver, Canada. Once again, ladies Canada. and gentlemen, welcome back to the conference. And uh, that's a little early on my end, uh, but um, once again to Michael, thank you very much for joining me tonight here, once again from away from the numbers, and uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Now, the recorded interview with my next guest from One Soccer, doing Forge FC from Hamilton, Ontario, Alexander Gonguet-Rujic, and here is that recording right now. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the CONCACAF Champions Cup first round second leg review show as we talk about those clubs in both Liga MX and Canada as we take a look at the second leg between Guadalajara Chivas and, of course, Hamilton Forge from the Canadian Premier League once again from One Soccer. This is Mr. Alexander Gonguet-Rujic to talk about the match. Welcome back, Alexander, and how are you? Yeah, I'm doing great on uh, this week. Thanks for having me 
again, Daniel, great week of Champion Cup action. And, uh, yeah, a bit of an unfortunate conclusion for Forge. But overall, I think uh, they showed well. So excited to talk about it. You know, I have to say that they did not disappoint at all. I really thought they had an excellent match you know, performance-wise, obviously, we know the result didn't go the way that I know you wanted or the way that Hamilton Ford supporters wanted. But still, though, if not for a few bad bounces uh, their way, I mean, I really thought that they performed very well and were strong offensively and defensively. Yeah, I think uh, for the most part they – once again, like in leg one, they showed what they can be, what they want to, what they want to do, what they want to, how they want to play. Um, I think they'd have to be encouraged by the the lack of fear they had of just wanting to play on the ball, wanting to make things happen. Perhaps maybe, you know, sometimes playing out the back, they they made some mistakes. Chivas were able to press them, but you can only commend uh, wanting to play that way because I think long term having that sort of commitment to an identity only pay off as you get used to these sorts of scenarios so that can be easy like you mentioned and like one to just go out there and adjust and try to hold on but for for Forge, they view this as a valuable chance to test themselves against the best to prove that they can go out against top mexican opposition and and play their way in and, and be competitive and i think overall they'll, they'll look from this experience and then take a lot of learning moments just you know how how things how for example in this road like how uh, the environment really can affect you, how the, the crowd, how the teams will press you, how sometimes some of the mistakes you might make get a bit amplified, but they can be happy with uh, the philosophy I think they employed in the in the match. You know, I really have to commend Bobby uh, Cimarontos, uh because, you know, he gets his players ready to play. He gets them going. And we all know it's probably preseason or not even preseason. Maybe they're just training at the moment. But still, though, how these players get up for these matches because of what Bobby has done for them has just been incredible. And um, I, I really feel he's a, a real leader of men uh, in that technical area for Hamilton Forge. Yeah, I mean, look, heading into year six, it's tough sometimes as a coach to keep, a, keep, keep your message going across for that long, right? Sometimes even great coaches after four or five years, you can kind of hit a wall, but telling that last year they won a championship in such impressive fashion in the playoffs that they're able to qualify for this and that heading into this year despite missing some key absences, uh, you know, some signings that have uh, players that have departed the club. Uh, despite all that's going, that's going on around him, heck, all these rumors linking him to the Canada job, it's just been business as usual. They've been playing the Forge way, and that's a credit to the philosophy he's implemented from the ground, or, yeah, from the ground up there, with, of course, with Sigma, like we mentioned, last week so yeah it's a, it's a huge credit to, to him i think the big thing is that they've been able to do this with some newer faces i think it's great that like a Kavon tavernier comes on and scores because he's a youngster they're gonna have to, to lean on this year uh you look like a kadeem kane coming off the bench and really impressing another youngster you look at some of these other players like garvin matusla having to play a bigger role with a manager card james gunn uh, you know alessandro hojabapur just growing every year I think it's a, it shows it's a credit to Smirnotis' system that just those faces step up, get dropped into roles, and he sets them up to, to be able to, to play that, that forge way. If I can ask you this, I mean, we all know Borian is probably towards the twilight of his career with the national team. Uh, I believe Crepeau is probably next in line to St. Uh, 
Claire, I believe, that's in Minnesota, and uh, Dane, obviously, maybe third string or second string once Sporian retires. But, you know, to me, Christopher Colongo did not look out of place once again. I mean, I really thought, outside of the blunders from bad bounces, uh, do you feel maybe he's a definitely a future keeper down the pipeline for the Canadian men's national team? I mean, look, it's, it's a long way away, but for, for a young goalkeeper, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to get minutes, pro, pro minutes, uh, as a young goalkeeper. So for him to show well as he did, he can only be encouraged by what his ceiling could be. And uh, there, there's certainly a history of young goalkeepers moving on from the Canadian Premier League. I think the big one is Jonathan Tirois, former, uh, you know, goalkeeper of the year winner who went to CF Montreal. He is very much in that discussion now to become a Borean replacement for Colongo. He'll just, you know, hopefully we'll have to see what happens if, you know, with the, the with Tristan Henry looking unlikely to return. For, will Forge trust Colongo to step up and fill the big shoes that Henry will have left behind after five successful seasons with Forge? Or will they go elsewhere? I think a performance like this will maybe, you know, lean towards the, the, the former. Okay, seeing that Colongo can respond to the sorts of opposition. I thought he did really well. Like you mentioned, he had an early mistake in the game, yet he responded and made some great saves, calmed down his distribution. That can be tough for, for a young goalkeeper. So definitely something where hopefully you can build off this performance and get good minutes because, yeah, anytime a young goalkeeper is playing, uh, it's something where that we don't often see that. Sometimes it takes a, a little later in a career for a player to, to, to get regular minutes as a goalkeeper. Uh, so no reason why he can't potentially vault this into to something down the road with Canada, although uh, that's been one area that Canada's done a relatively good job at in the past from the days of Craig Forrest to now is that they, they, they do have a d decent collection of shot stoppers uh, in their mix. Yeah, they really do. And it uh, looks like there'll be more coming in once again. And hopefully the Canadian Premier League will keep on uh, growing with uh, more clubs and, of course, better players and better keepers and other positionals there as well. Um, as we said before, bad bounce in the eighth minute. Eric Gutierrez converted to make it 1-0 in the second leg. That was 4-1 on aggregate. And then in the second half, I thought fantastic save by Colongo on Jose Castillo. But as we said, the rebound was po was headed home and 62nd minute, unfortunately. But I will say this. Uh, I thought Kevon Tavern Tavernier's goal in second half stoppage time was just a beauty of a shot, absolutely from the long-range rebound that he buried. And he's going to be with the under-20 team in, qual in the qualification rounds, correct? Yes, and yeah, he's been called up, and he's just a fun fact. You wouldn't believe it based on how he took the goal. That was his first professional goal, but uh, certainly a special special moment for the 17-year-olds. He also represented Canada at the U-17 World Cup last fall. We played a decent amount of minutes, so he's gotten himself embedded into the Canadian youth system. Hmm. Very cool, very cool. And uh, that's my hope, of course, for Canada to uh, keep on growing and keep on moving in the positive direction and everything. Let me ask you this, and obviously um, I'm assuming the Premier League in Canada starts around, what, March? Is it early March? Is it maybe late March or, or is it beginning of April? You would know more than I would, obviously, when the season starts, but has there been – like concerns or complaints of some sort from Canadian soccer fans that maybe that, you know, maybe either the Premier League in Canada should start earlier or do you feel that maybe CONCACAF should move up the start of this competition a little later? 
Yeah, it's tough because I think ideally it is something that has is a concern that has been broached because just weather due to weather. Um, the the final last year was late October and the first game of the season is early April. That is a long layoff. Coaches aren't the biggest fans of it. Players aren't the biggest fans. But it's also reality where in the sporting market, summer games are always going to be the hotter sell. So you want to maintain a calendar like that. And then there's just the reality that for some places like Calgary, where of course there's there's cavalry, you know, sometimes in, in March and April it'll be snowing. It'll be it'll be minus five, minus ten. And I know that's a battle that MLS has also dealt with, but I guess in that, that regard, they're helped by the fact that they can always just, you know, give maybe a little more games in the fall and spring to teams from Florida, teams from California. Whereas in Canada, you don't even really have that luxury because, yeah, Vancouver and, 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 you know, on the Atlantic coast, it's still a bit milder than what you might see in, in Prairie, Alberta, or, you know, somewhere in, in the greater Toronto area, but it's still wet. It's still, uh, you know, not ideal weather for fans and, and for players. But I do wonder if we maybe see something where it starts a little early, like a March or a February, and sometimes you just, you, maybe they bite, bite the bullet a bit and go for, for more of a November end date. Because it is definitely something where I think they, they realize that having such a long offseason isn't uh, you know, the most beneficial, especially in terms of keeping buzz and keeping uh, everyone engaged. And then as for CONCACAF, I think that's something that I'm sure uh, that they'll, they'll hear from MLS teams as well, because seeing it would be a huge disadvantage for these MLS teams coming in smack dab in the preseason, like the Whitecaps were the other Canadian representatives. Um, I think that's something where between that, between the CPL teams, of course it'll be tough because Liga MX will be kind of nearing the end of their Clausura season if they start a bit later, but it could be beneficial for the competition itself if they found a way to make an April or May start, start time, if they can find a way to align the schedule to ensure the games aren't too congested. No, I agree with you there. I think at least... Uh, I would love for seeing the opening round start maybe beginning of March instead of beginning of February. But then again, that's another discussion for another time, unfortunately. <laughs> but still, though, um, where does Forge go from here? I mean, we all know there's another Canadian Premier League season about to start. But, you know, how much longer can they do this, just continue to have moments, you know, in their season where you think that, one minute they're out of it, but out of nowhere they they make magic happen and they continue to win championship after championship and qualifying for the Champions Cup here. Where do they go from here? Yeah, I think they still have another big season ahead of them. I mean, it's funny to think they've played two huge games and other next competitive matches for another two months, but this will just give them a chance to prepare. And I think they're still well set up. Yeah, they lost Mandricard James, one of the best center backs in the league last year. In my opinion, uh, yeah, they lost Wubens Pasias, one of the best strikers in the league's history. He signed with, you know, Nashville today, their first team. So it's a great story uh, that, that he was able to move on. Looks like they're going to lose Tristan Henry, you know, reigning goalkeeper of the year champion. But at the same time, this Forge team, like they just, you look, they still have quality. You got Tristan Borges, former league MVP. You got Kyle Becker, former league MVP and had one of his best seasons last year. Uh, you got Alessandro Hojabapur, who continues to grow and be a force, uh, one of the best at his position. Uh, I think uh, Garvin Matusla is super underrated among CPL center backs. Uh, you got someone like Kwasi Poku, who I think has oodles of potential and can really step up. This year, Taryn Campbell is the league's all-time leading goal scorer. David Schwanier, they, like, that's just wild to think that they lose such key regulars. Yet I'm going through this roster, and you just see quality at every position. I don't think they're done yet either. They're going to make some signings. 
Of course, they had a Benny Benabanga who they brought in late last year who really impressed. I think they're going to, uh, they've also made some, uh, some other signings already, but I think with this two month period, they're going to shore up at center back. They, they might potentially either, you know, stick with Colongo and goal or look there and add to what's already an impressive roster. So based on all that, especially if Smirnotis returns, this is a team that's going to go for that, that, that league and playoff double. And there's every reason why they can believe in being able to do it this year. If you don't mind me asking you this, uh, obviously Tim Horton Stadium in Hamilton, Ontario, and they share it with uh, the Tiger Cats of the Canadian Football League, uh, and it, you know it's a great home field advantage for them, obviously. But is there? Do you know if there's going to be any pipelines possibly of building a soccer stadium for themselves and maybe move out, or they're just going to remain there until uh, forever and ever? I think they're definitely going to remain there long term. I mean, it just makes sense. Their owner, uh, Bob Young, who also owns the Tiger Cats, and he's been a huge uh, driving force behind the the CPL itself, uh, you know, not just Forge. Uh, Because of that, I think they're going to stay at Tim Hortons Field, and I think that's good because it gives something for for them to shoot for that. I think it's, you know, it's it's promising that last year at the final, they were able to get 12,000, 13,000 into that stadium. It shows that, okay, they're pushing uh, towards getting bigger and bigger crowds and, 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 and having that ceiling to shoot for, especially that the Tiger Cats always sell out well. They're so well regarded. And in, in, in Hamilton, I think with Forge's success and what they've been doing, I think they're slowly starting to get some of that recognition in the market. So it's something where, yeah, maybe at this, in the short term, you'd like a six, 7,000-seat stadium, I think the Halifax Wanderers have provided the perfect template of why that's great, but also the Wanderers have come to realize themselves with all the sellouts they're having. You know, sometimes it's okay to have that feeling to to, to grow, uh, especially if you can use it right. So hopefully for for Forge, they can there can be a reality that within the next two to three years they're constantly getting ten thousand every week, and uh, they can continue to be a you know a big pillar in this league on and off the field. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, Forge is out, but uh, there's another uh, CPL team ready to go in the MLS rounds, and that is Cavalry FC based out of Calgary, and hopefully they can make some noise and they can make an upset here in the first round of the CONCACAF Champions Cup. But, Alexander, as always, thank you very much for joining me tonight, and uh, hope to talk to you next week, and uh, you have a good evening. Thanks again. Yeah, likewise, Daniel. Always a pleasure. Alexander Gonguet-Rugic from One Soccer talking about Hamilton Forge as we are getting ready to talk more about the CONCACAF Champions Cup, the Liga MX first round and the second leg review as we get ready to talk about everything going on with uh, this tournament. Now, my next guest, just waiting for him to give me a call, and that is the one and only Charlie Assam from FMF State of Mind of SB Nation as we're going to review all the clubs involving in Liga MX and uh, getting ready for this one as we go ahead and talk about it. Just waiting for, uh, waiting for Charlie to call in and uh, get ready to talk about these games. Now, and once again, the one and only Charlie Assam from SB Nation's FMS State of Mind. Welcome back, Charlie, and how are you, sir? Hey, Dan, pretty good. Thanks for having me on again, and a pleasure to be here with you. It's great to have you on here. Before we talk about these games, let's just go ahead quickly. Um, tragedy struck, sadly, in Liga MX. If you can just uh, inform us about the situation that happened with Diego Chavez, what happened? 
Yeah, yeah, it was it was absolutely unfortunate. Um, he uh, apparently uh, reports say it was a, a uh, you know high speed uh, collision uh, late at night. I believe somewhere around midnight. Um, and and yeah, just just really you know really tragic story out of the border city. Um, you know had you know much much promise in the league. Um, just kind of you know getting his his career. Uh, you know, underway. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's absolutely a, a tragic story to hear. And, and, you know, hopefully one we can all learn from, I mean, not, not, not clear yet, you know, what, what the circumstances surrounding it were, but, uh, but yeah, it's always unfortunate when we, when we hear these types of stories, not just in Liga MX, but in any, you know, any, any sports league, you know, around the world. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, prayers to uh, and condolences to his family and loved ones, obviously, and to all the fans. I believe he was playing for FC Juarez and uh, very sorry for the fan base over there. They couldn't uh, watch him play for them and uh, very sad to hear that. So uh, sending our condolences to um, Chavez's family as well and to all his friends and loved ones. Let's go ahead. uh, Charlie, to recap all these games, uh, Guadalajara, got to say, um, I-, I thought Forge actually did well against Guadalajara, but, uh, you know, Chivas took advantage of uh, two bad, ba- well, two, good, ba- two good, ba- good bounces their way, obviously, to get the goals to win this one 2-1 in the second leg, 5-2 on aggregate, but, you know, give credit to Forge, they never gave up in the entire match. Yeah, that's a good point uh, to make there. Both both goals come, uh, I think they're very circumstantial. Um, with that being said, I also believe it's a prize uh, for Chivas in terms of, you know, continuing to insist and in keeping the pressure on uh, Forge. So, yeah, for sure, circumstantial goals, lucky bounces. Um, had that initial goal not gone in, I think the game could have gotten a little bit more interesting because a little later in the half, Forge do have a couple approaches that come very close to going in, uh, specifically one, one uh, long-distance shot that was kind of bending, you know, making, kind of trying to make its way in. So, so yeah, uh, credit to Forge for, for uh, you know, not – I mean, they, they never stopped fighting. However, I also do want to add – I do feel they, you know, all their players in general looked, I would say, a step or two behind the Chivas players. And I'll I'll go back to what I mentioned last week. They seem a little bit out of rhythm still. uh, And I'll repeat the same again. It it would be interesting to see uh, this Forge team if they were in the middle of their, you know, regular season. I think we could have a bit of a different outcome. I agree with you there, Charlie. Well, I will say this, though. I want to say... Uh, Jose Castillo. I mean, that was a damn good goal, even though, you know, bad bounce for Forge, but I have to give credit to Jose Castillo. I mean, he made a great opening shot. And even though the save was made from the Forge goalkeeper uh, from uh, Colongo, you got to give Castillo a lot of credit staying with that ball and heading it inside the near post. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He uh, he stays with the play, and I think credit to the entire uh, Chivas uh, strikers and you know you know forwards and and just offense in general. I think 
they all were very involved. I love Cade Cowell's involvement again. I think he he actually looked a step ahead of everyone, and I love the fact that it wasn't just shooting but also crossing. He created plays along the sidelines, um, you know, fed his teammates the ball as well. So he's not just looking to score goals. He's also fully involved in play creation. Um, so I love what I'm seeing there. Um, another positive point, you know, in, you know, in terms of, of, of what Chivas did is they showed a great ability uh, to lull the game to sleep. I don't know if you'll agree with me here, Dan, but I think that with their passing you know, the passing game, I think uh, Fernando Gago, uh, you know, Chivas manager, he's, he's putting his, his stamp on this team, you know, trying to um, show this, this good game management that they can have. So they, they pass the ball around. They did this in the first leg as well, um, where, where they'll just have these, you know, you know prolonged periods of, of possession with the ball where they'll just pass it around and just kind of lull the game to sleep. And I think they did the same thing here in this, in this second leg. It helps for them not to get too worn out. They knew that they were playing against a rival who was a bit inferior in terms of rhythm, maybe quality somewhat. So they played to their advantage there. And, and yeah, just, I think, a very good all-around game by Chivas. Um, good stuff from Chivas, but definitely a much tougher road ahead with America coming up next, the Clásico Nacional. So it'll be interesting to see how much of this good play they can transfer um, once once they hit America, you know, in, in a few weeks here. No, actually, I do agree with you. I, I mean, that's always, in my mind, a good manager right there. I, I think that what he did was the correct thing to do. I mean, the truth of the matter is this. If they had better, if they took their chances better, the, the scoreline would have been a lot better for for Chivas in the match, in the, in the, especially in the second leg. Because, yeah. you know, the three goals that they got in the first leg over in Hamilton – uh, were tremendous. And I agree with you. Kate Cowell has really fitted in very nicely. It didn't take him that long at all to fit in. I, I think he fits right. in very well with what Guadalajara wants to play. And the manager is there is giving him definitely a lot to work with. And he's fit in exceptionally well. Right. And, and let's keep in mind that they still have uh, Chicharito up and coming. He's, he's right. still not fully recovered, so I believe I believe they had said they were expecting a, a March debut at some point. Um, so just to think that he will also be involved at some point. I'm I'm not saying you know title contender yet, but definitely um, exciting times ahead for for Chivas if, if they're showing this so far. You know without Chicharito and then. You know, in these couple games, you know, no Alan Mosso, no Victor Guzman, no Roberto Alvarado, these key players to their, to their you know, scheme. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what happens once, you know, all these players are fit in the lineup plus Chicharito. So, so yeah, interesting times ahead for Chivas. Absolutely. Let's go to the next match, and that's Tigres versus Vancouver. And that was a 3-0 victory for Tigres. Now, I want to be – I want to ask you a question here because – Look, they got the necessary results. They got the necessary aggregate uh, advantage. But did you feel confident with Tigres playing against Vancouver? Or did you feel like there's something wrong here? I, I did not feel confident. I mean, obviously, we, we have to just say right off the bat, Tigres are one of the top, I would say, top three CONCACAF teams over the past 
I don't know, five to ten years maybe. So you're talking about I a agree. very difficult team in, in Tigres, right? That being mm-hmm. said, however, Vancouver showed, you know, a lot of fight, a lot of spirit, and they have a lot of quality players there. Um, So I thought this could have been anyone's game. And to be honest with you, I, you know, Vancouver, uh, this Tigres Vancouver series and the Toluca Herediano series, they were the two series that that worried me the most out of the Mm -hmm. initial five Liga MX uh, matches. So, so yeah, I I was not confident at all uh, coming into this one, especially, you know, Tigres have shown that not, I mean, they've been a good home team for sure, but, you know, they, they have been let down at home as well in, in, in certain defining games. So, um, so, yeah, definitely wasn't confident. So let me throw this at you. If Tuca Ferretti was still the manager at Tigris, would there have been chairs thrown and lockers damaged to get the players ready and be more clinical at the second half? I mean – Maybe, maybe in a sense, just just considering how much of a perfectionist Tuca Ferretti is. That being said, I also think that Siboldi did what Tuca Ferretti would have done, uh, like the the initial game plan. So, you know, the first game, Tigres come out, the first leg, excuse me, they come out with a back line of four. And I'll use your exact words, they shredded them like Swiss cheese. So what does he want to do? He, he, yeah. So, so what does he do? He comes out with a back line of five. He inserts Samir in the middle. I mean, Samir is just a, you know, a, a beast of a player back there. He, he just cannot be passed. He's so good, so strong. Um, I mean, it's so difficult to get past him. So a great insertion there in, in Samir. And then, of course, he, he has his two defensive midfielders right in front of him in Gorriaran and, of course, Carioca. So you have, you know, excellent ball control, great, dis- great defensive discipline there. So he has his, his three center backs plus his two uh, defensive central midfielders. So there was no way they were going get, to get past, you know, that, that middle section. Again, they, they forced Vancouver to play on the sidelines. And, and I think that, that kind of forced Vancouver, they, they looked really comfortable playing down the middle in the first leg. So I think that kind of forced them a little bit, and they looked I, – I, I did notice they were a bit uncomfortable, at least you know, no, noticeably more uncomfortable than they were in the first game in terms of attacking. Very true. I agree with you there. But, like, you know, look, the Met, Siboldi did the right thing. He made his uh, changes in the second half. He made his adjustments, his tactical uh, changes, and he got three fantastic goals coming from his side to win it 4-1 on aggregate 3-0 in the second leg. Um, I mean, Club America winning 2-0 at their temporary home because I did not know that they were reformatting or at least refurbishing the Estadio Azteca again to make it ready for the World Cup in 2026. So they went over to the Ciudad de los Deportes, but uh, 2-0 yes. in the second leg, uh, 3-2 on aggregate. Um, I-, I thought this was a great match. 
Um, I thought Real Esteli uh, at least tried to. Well, I shouldn't say. Well, they did try, obviously. You know, they 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 stuck it in there and they tried to match Club America. And I thought there was that one moment. I thought they were going to go into a fight or something on that one tackle yeah. in the second half. But thankfully, <laughs> that did. Thankfully, yeah. cooler heads prevailed. Obviously, <laughs> but still, though, that that was a great match. You know, I know Esteli did not get the result that they were looking for, but I thought they tried to match Club America. Uh, with the intensity that they were able to do. Yeah, I mean, in, you know, intensity-wise, they were there. But I do want to say they they looked like a totally different team from the start. Uh, they seemed really nervous with the ball. You know, they lost a ton of balls in their defensive zone, and they were missing wide-open passes to their teammates. And we're talking this was within the first 15 to 20 minutes when America was full on pressure until they finally, you know, suffocated Esteli enough to get that first goal. And after they get that first goal, which is what they needed to move on, you notice, you know, manager uh, Jardine kind of, um, you know, gives out the instruction for them to sit back to kind of wait for Esteli and they kind of managed the game. It was more game management. Same thing. You know, they're playing a midweek match. They have a, a difficult matchup uh, tomorrow. I believe they're playing Pachuca. Uh, and Pachuca are actually the other Liga MX club who are already through to the uh, round of 16, um, uh, CONCACAF Champions Cup. So um, a difficult game there that they have tomorrow. So for sure, uh, I, I think it's clear it was in Jardine's mind. Let's get the goal we need and let's kind of, um, you know, be be smart with our, uh, you know, with how you know how much effort we're exerting here. No, absolutely, and uh, of course, the brilliant goal from Jonathan Rodriguez in the 18th, and another brilliant goal uh, from Alejandro Zendejas in the oh, yeah. 54th, and that was absolutely wonderful to watch. Um, obviously. The next one I want to talk to because, I mean, it's really Monterey being Monterey. Let's just be honest. Communicaciones had nothing. I mean, I know they, they played and they battled, but still, though, you're down 4-1 on aggregate. You got destroyed already, yeah. uh, you know, basically 21 minutes in between goals. Uh, Hector Moreno, Jesus Corona uh, makes it 2-0 already in the match, and that's already... 6-1, it's 7-1 on aggregate. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, there's nothing here. Communication is just, you know, walks out like a lamb. Yeah, they, they do. No uh, no resistance, you know, whatsoever on their part. It was it was an, an easy walkover for Monterrey. Uh, Moreno scores, I believe, in the ninth minute, ninth or tenth minute. So, you know, if, if there was any doubt at all, he immediately puts that to rest uh, at, at that point. And then uh, just just as you know, a couple notes from from Rayados here, just just to put it out there. It was good to see mm-hmm. you know Tecatito, Rodrigo Aguirre, Brandon Vasquez, to see these guys involved. Uh, Tecatito and uh, you know and, and Aguirre are coming off um, kind of difficult stretches here where they haven't um, been playing their best. So that's that's good to see them uh, kind of get in the mix. And then um, Brandon Vasquez scores. I believe Aguirre didn't score, but he was involved, I think, in that last goal uh, that, that Brandon Vasquez scores. So he provides the assist. And then he also had a you know, couple more shots during the game, which, which were close to going in. So just to see him playing well and kind of being involved on offense is important because he's been getting booed a ton from the Monterrey, uh, Monterrey fan base. And we've seen what he can do. If, if he can get back to his... Um, 
to his prime level, he will be a huge asset for, for Monterrey. So that is exactly what they need. And I think that was a smart decision on manager uh, Tano Ortiz's part to, to keep him in there and give him a chance to really start, um, you know, getting minutes and, 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 you know, trying to contribute and getting that confidence back. Um, and then just as, as, as a one, one last comment here, I just, I just want to repeat what I said last week because I, I, I truly do believe Rayados got lucky in that first leg. They ended up scoring the, the two goals toward the end. But, uh, you know, had things could have gone very differently had Comunicaciones scored, you know, one or two more of those opportunities in the first leg. So this big advantage that they came back home with allowed Rayados to play an alternate squad. They were able to rotate accordingly. Um, they got West in for really key players, you know, in preparation for their Toluca uh, clash this weekend. Um, so just just important to note there that things could have been very different. They could have been forced to use a much more um, serious squad, if you want to put it that way, like America uh, was forced to use. Um, and Tigres had the result in the first leg been a little bit different, which it definitely could have. But yeah, uh, I, I agree with you, Dan. Um, just, just they, they swept Comunicaciones out of out of the stadium uh, last night for sure. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Um, before we get to the last match, I want to ask you this quick question, though. You know, Demarcus Beasley was the last U.S. American player to play in Liga MX. Now, for the league, you have Alejandro Zendejas, you got Cade Cowell, and Brandon Vasquez, and of course, he scored that big third goal in the match to make it three nil against uh, Camino Casiones. What does it mean to you to see no. U.S. men's national team players actually coming down to Mexico and being a part of, uh, of the FMF, uh, of, of Liga MX? I, I honestly think it's huge. I think it's been a long time coming. Uh, the U.S., especially in terms of offense, have, have shown over the past, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, I think they've shown um, you know, some great – um, offensive um, sparks, and, 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 and they've had really good players that have caused issues for, you know, specifically speaking in, in, the, in the matchups with, uh, with Mexico, with the Mexican national team. I think they've had some very, very good players of late. Um, you know, obviously, Christian Pulisic, uh, that, you know, doesn't, doesn't need mentioning. He's, he's been a stud in, in Europe since, since he's been over there, but I mean, they've had a bunch of, of, of really talented offensive players, and I think it was just a matter of time. And I, I think it's also good for them. It's not just good for Liga MX in terms of bringing, you know, more talent offensive-wise, but it's good for them also because I think uh, defenses in Liga MX are tougher to figure out than MLS. I think MLS can still take it a step further in terms of defense. Um, that's just my take from what I've, I've observed. And, um, and I think it's also good for them. It, it presents a, a, a good challenge for them in their careers. And, you know, some of them who can't make the jump straight to Europe, I think it is an important growth for them to um, try to prove their, their talent uh, in Mexico. I agree with you there. And now we go to the surprise, the shock, and the, oh, my God, what the hell just happened? <laughs> I, 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 am, I am absolutely flabbergasted. I, I mean, look, I don't know if this is Toluca being Toluca, but, you know, you, you, you win in, in Costa Rica 2-1 in the first leg. 
and you get the two away goals. You add on two more at home in the first half, and it's 4-1 aggregate, and you're thinking you've, you've, you've killed off Herdiano. And then that happened. I could not believe Herdiano came back and got not just a victory, but three away goals to win the to win the away goal rule and to end it on a 4-4 draw. But the away goals rule was just unreal how they won this one. What what did what does Toluca tell you? I mean, what did the fans in Toluca tell you? What does Renato Paiva tell you? How this whole thing imploded in front of them? Yeah, couldn't have said it better. It's just amazing. I mean, you're sitting there watching the game, and, and, I mean, there's no way. You've got, I think, what was it, less than 40 minutes, around 35 minutes to go. It's a a three-goal difference. I mean, Toluca, you know, came out the second half, the first 10 minutes of the second half, they're they're still dominating the game. It's like there's no way um, you could have ever predicted this would happen. It's just incredible. And I think the key to the game, you just mentioned it. It's manager Renato Paiva. I think his game plan failed him again, just like in the first leg. Instead of, you know, in the first leg, instead of, you know, pressing on the gas, taking advantage of the fact they had one extra player, he decided to sit back with the, with the you know, initially with the one goal lead, and then they get a, a second goal, and then they sit back again. And what, what happens when you decide to sit back and let the other team grow is any little mistake will cost you, and that's what happened at the end of the first leg, right? So same thing here. So he takes a 2-0 lead, and, and I really can't blame him all that much. I think everybody, I, I don't think there's a single person who would have actually guessed Herediano would come back. But they have a great offensive scheme going in the first half, and what happens is at halftime, he, take, he takes out Maxi Araujo, who's on the left, and he takes out Robert Morales, who is his, um, his center forward, right, his striker. So he takes out two key pieces on offense to start the second half, and he does that thinking the game is over. He's, he's seeing it as an opportunity to rest his starters. You know, he takes out Alexis Vega, you know, I think halfway through the second half as well. Um, so he kind of, you know, just, just dismisses the game in a sense, um, thinking it's over, and, and, and I think that's what ends up losing him the game. Um, Toluca was nowhere near, uh, you know, efficient uh, offensively as they were in the first half. Um, so, so I believe it was those substitutions and the fact of them, you know, just kind of thinking the game was over. I think that's the message, you know, because players also get the message from the coach, you know, or, or from the manager. Whenever he makes substitutions, they get the message. Uh, with substitutions as well. And if, if they get that message, that's also in their heads as well, right? The, the game is over. Let's just try and see this thing out. But absolutely the surprise. Um, I mean, I don't know if to go as far as, as the year in terms of CONCACAF with such, I mean, such disparity between these two clubs, No, n- not taking any credit away from Herediano. They, I mean, they, they have quality players as well, but Toluca with, with these players they have, with their payroll, and with the advantage they had at home with, with, the, with the height above sea level, there's just no excuse for them to have lost this game. It's blasphemy. Downright <laughs> blasphemy. Uh, that, that's a shame. That's just, yeah. Yeah. you know, you, know you, th- I, I, you think you have it in the bag and then you blow it up. 
Yeah. And, and, and I, I just want to reiterate, uh, you know, something I, I alluded to last week, Tamirano, the, the Herediano manager. Um, he, you know, Mexican-born uh, uh, player. He played in the Mexican national team. He coached for uh, Gallos Blancos de Querétaro not long ago. Um, so he knows Liga MX very well. So, you know, he looked like an absolute genius. The two subs he brought in, Francisco Rodriguez and Joshua Canales, they scored the second and third goals respectively. They defended well as a team, and they knew when to go on the counter, send players up and attack. It was just a great team effort. If Toluca weren't, you know, as inconsistent as, as they've proven to be over these, over these two games, and, and, and they, they hadn't broken up that offensive scheme in the way they did, there's no way that Eno comes back from this. But, you know, taking advantage of what Toluca stopped doing, full credit to Eno and Piti Altamirano for figuring out a way to come back from this. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, all I can say, Charlie, is once again, you know, uh, some days uh, you eat the bear and some days the bear eats you. And this t- in this case, it was both. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I, 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 I would not I, I would not want to be a, a, a Toluca fan right now. I'm. I've I've seen yeah. a few videos of of these fans and it's it's not it's not fun I'll tell you that. So, no. so I, we'll, I we'll see how they rebound from this one. Uh, hopefully they will, but I got a funny feeling this guy is not they're, they're not going to be happy for a while because they gave up such a great opportunity and they screwed it up. What are you going to do, Charlie? As always, thanks again for joining me. Uh, just rest up for March for round of sixteen, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, beginning of March, and hopefully it'll be a lot better once uh, Pachuca starts their way in round of 16, so it should be a lot of fun. Thanks again for joining me tonight. For sure. Thanks for having me on, Dan. A pleasure speaking to you again, and, and, and we'll be talking in, you know, come March, for sure. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Absolutely. No problem. Have a good night. Charlie Assam from FMF State of Mind of SB Nation. Uh, talk about those clubs from League MX as we re- reviewed that, and uh, just absolutely terrible if you're a Toluca fan uh, down there when you should have had that against Herdiano and you let them back in the match. Just unbelievable. And you get kicked out on away goals 3-2. to two. Uh, 3-2 was also the final score in the second leg. 4-4 on aggregate. But I want to thank my guests tonight, Michael McCall from Away From The Numbers, Alexander Gonguet-Rougique from One Soccer in Canada, and of course, Charlie Assam, SB Nation's FMF State of Mind. Join me on the regular show with Carter Krishnar from World Soccer Talk and my colleague at Beyond the 90. And then the next Friday, reviewing all MLS clubs involved in the CONCACAF Champions Cup, their first round, first leg matches as well. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. I hope you have a very good evening. Take care so long, and as always, enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long, and bye-bye. Have a good night, everybody.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.